Well, what is going on, Princeton, North Carolina? Yes. Some of you are like, I'm not from Princeton. They're like, all the Princetonites were the ones clapping. I'm from a different city. How are you guys doing? For those of you who don't know, I'm Ryan. I'm the lead pastor at the Bridge Goldsboro. And uh, my wife, my lovely wife, beautiful, blue-eyed, gorgeous, brown-haired girl sitting right over here. Don't look now. You won't hear another word I say. Just know that she's over there and we're together today. We're extremely delighted to be here at the Bridge Princeton. Uh, pastor Jim is not here, obviously. He is in Goldsboro today preaching there uh, throughout the year. Not only is he our, uh, is the pastor right here in Princeton, he's the senior pastor over the whole entire Bridge Church, all the locations. So throughout the year, he likes to go to the different locations and preach. And, um, and so it's interesting. Pastor Andrew has been here several times. He's the pastor in Mount Olive. And for whatever reason, he and I just could not get our calendars together. Uh, to make this happen. And so we thought maybe it's just not God's will for, for us to switch. And uh, it's interesting because he was the, the lead pastor at Goldsboro for a while before he came here. And uh, so literally we finally made it work. And, and we were sitting in a meeting a few weeks ago and I said, did we just successfully schedule a swap? And he went, Shh, do not jinx this. And so I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut up right now. Um, so here we are. We are in a series uh, called Church Is. And if you have ever invited anyone to church, you've probably experienced some resistance. Maybe you were the one resisting at times, but now you're here. But you've probably experienced some resistance. George Barna uh, did a national survey years ago, said there are several reasons why people are resistant to come to church. And today we're tackling kind of a big one. It's, it's a big stereotype. Church is greedy. All they care about is money. You, you, you said it. And the reason why you said it and you know it is because it's a big stereotype. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've said it. Maybe it's true. <laughs> Maybe we've earned this reputation. And if you're in the church today and you're part of the church and you say, man, that's, that's offensive. That's really not what we, what we think. Um, let's just be honest before we get offended. There are some people along the way who have kind of given the church that name because it seems as if all they care about is money. And we could think of some preachers. We could think of some TV evangelists. I'm sure you could think of some. I'm not here to, to say any names, uh, but I'm sure you've seen them. They have a 30-minute slot to speak, and five minutes of it is the Bible. Bible and 25 minutes of it is how you can give to their particular ministry, and, and, and they need money to go on. I'm not saying they don't. Uh, I saw one person one time that said that if you donated a certain amount, you would be shipped a anointed prayer cloth so that you could pray and all your prayers would be answered. You know, you heal, be healed of different diseases, or uh, you could get that husband or wife that you've always wanted. Um, I saw some single guys really taking advantage of that, ringing some doorbells of some single women praying with the prayer cloth, and they ring the doorbell, and the door opens, and they say, here I am. You, you prayed for me, and here I am. <laughs> the prayer cloth worked. <laughs> we can see how people have given the church a bad name. So if you've ever used the stereotype or heard that stereotype, that, you know, church, all they care about is my money, we, we can see that sometimes it's not hard to kind of agree with that in some ways. Um, but here's what I've come to realize is that it's, it's not a problem that we're talking about money in church. The problem is, is when, when people talk about money with the wrong motive. Can you lean into me for a minute? Problem isn't that we talk about money in church. In fact, God said a lot about money in his word. Over 2,000 scriptures talk about money. Two-thirds of Jesus' parables, he was referencing money or some type of, of resource. So it's, the problem isn't that we talk about money in church. The problem is when people, human beings have the wrong motive. You know what I've, I've come to realize? 
you know what I've come to learn is God, he doesn't care about money so much. What he cares about is the things in our lives that have the propensity to control us. And money is a really, really big thing in our lives that we all need that has the ability, if we're not careful, to really be the center of our hearts, to really control us. And so you don't think that if something has the propensity to be at the center of your heart, God's going to have something to say about it. Of course he is. He's going to say a lot about it. And so today we're, we're, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about what it means to handle finances God's way. Maybe you've heard the stereotype, all they care about is my money. Well, I, I want to talk to you today a little bit about a biblical motive, a pure motive, a motive that says, you know what, God does care about money, but he cares more about how he can bless you and how you can live a fulfilling life that he promised. Now, before we go any further, I, I want to say this. Back in 2017 um, of September, I joined the Bridge staff. It was one of the most exciting times of my life. And they were in a series called Offering Fit for a King. Anybody around here ever heard of that? It's a financial series. And so I said, oh, great. The first message I ever preach at the Bridge is going to be talking about money. So it just appears that every time I get introduced to a congregation around the bridge, they want me to talk about money. So I'm sorry. I, you know, this is the series that we were in. Um, they just throw me right in the fire. So I, I want you to know that I'm, I'm not here giving you my opinions. If I was, then I would be a little bit more fearful to talk about it. But I'm standing here, standing on God's word today, applying it to myself and applying it to the church. So if you'd agree to lean in and listen, not necessarily to Ryan Barbado, but listen to God's word, I think we're going to get a lot out of this. Amen? Amen. This is, this is what God says. He says, you know what? I want you to live a fulfilling life. And in order to live the fulfilling life that God promised, he knows that there are things that have the propensity to take the center of our hearts and pull us away from that. And money is one of those things. So the Bible talks an awful lot about money, but Jesus, he makes his motive clear in John 10.10. 10. He says this, the thief, Satan, the enemy of our faith, he says he only comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But then Jesus says this, but I have come, in other words, my motive is that they might have life, and that to the fullest. So when we start talking about money in church, we got to understand, Jesus, he didn't talk about money to leave a bad taste in our mouth. God didn't talk about money in the scriptures so much so that we would walk away thinking, gosh, all he talks about is money. He makes a huge effort to talk about it because he says, I want to bring you life. And the bottom line is, is if, if we handle our finances in a God-honoring way, then we're going to have the life that God promised us. So maybe there's, there's some in the church that give it a bad name and, and kind of lend ourselves to earning that stereotype. But I want to shed some light on the subject from a, a biblical motive. And, and I, I, want you to, I want to say this. I, I don't want you to listen to me because I'm the pastor that's talking. Because I, I, I can't back up any of God's promises. I'm a, I'm a mere human being. So when we start talking about God's promises today, I want you to be able to walk out of here, listen to what I say, and then weigh it for yourself. Weigh it for yourself. So here's, here's a basic formula uh, for handling finances God's way. You ready? Say ready. Give some save some, and live within your means. Now, that's not in the scriptures verbatim, but all throughout the scriptures, this, this theme is laced in it. Give some, save some, and live within your means. Can we say that together? Give some, save some, live within your means. Say it one more time. Why not? Give some, save some, live within your means. Let's just say it and get crazy. Give some, save some, and live within your means. 
Now, for some of you, it's give some, give some more. All I have is teens. Is anybody there? <laughs> let's look at these one by one and let's, let's see what the Bible has to say. He says, give some. Now, there's two main veins of giving that the scriptures talk about. That He spells it out in his word. Uh, tithe and being generous. Tithe. Let's, let's talk about that for just a minute. Uh, people have different ideas about tithe, whether or not we should do it, whether or not it's relevant today, whether or not God really says anything about it that we should be doing in today's world. Now, I'm not going to go deep into this, but I will tell you this. It's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament, and people are still tithing today and being blessed. So I'm not going to go deep into that because this is not a message about tithing, but I will say this. Obedience in God's word here will set you up for everything God wants to do for you financially, for you and through you. This is the, the, the baseline of being obedient to God's word concerning your finances. Malachi 3.10, you probably have heard this before. It says this, bring to the storehouse a tenth of what you gain. By the way, tithe means tenth. People say, can I tithe 5%? Can I tithe 20%? No, tithe actually means tenth. And, and I'll say this, maybe you're not there yet, but, and some people say, well, you can start small and, and work towards tithe. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, whatever you do, have in your heart to obey his word. And if that means you have to work towards it, then work towards it, but get there. He says, bring a tenth of what you gain into the storehouse. Then there will be food in my house. And here's the, here's the fun part. God's saying, test me in this. Test me in this. Says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out more blessings than you have room for. You know what it comes down to? Some people focus on the blessings part. Some people focus on the obedience part. But really what it comes down to is, is whether I trust God's words or not. Am I going to trust God? Because it's not mainly about whether the church gets money or which church gets money or how God is going to bless me. It's about me believing and, and me watching God do for me and through me what I couldn't do for myself. It's, am I going to take this into my own hands or am I going to trust God's words with it? When it comes to one of the most needed things in our society, am I going to trust him? Because remember, it's not merely about money, it's about trust. God doesn't care about money so much as he cares about the propensity that it has to control you. And so he says, yes, I want you to take this and I want you to give me a tenth of it and watch how I bless the other 90. That's what he's saying. And I've seen story after story. You have too. If you're a tither in here, you can, you can tell your own story about how people have trusted God with the tenth and watched God do more with the 90 than they could ever do with the 100 and come through for them time and time again. Uh, in the verse, God says to try me out in this. He says to test me in this. You want to know why he says test me in this? And, and this is just Pastor Ryan's conclusion. Because he knew how hard it would be. <laughs> Some of you calculating 10% right now and you're going, nope. <laughs> Absolutely not. In fact, when I said tie the men of go, uh, many of you started taking less uh, room on your seat because you shrunk up. It just, just the word kind of gets us going in church. Um, he knows how hard it is for you to wrap your brain around humanly. And so he says, the only place in Scripture, try me in this, test me in this. He says, I get it, I understand. Try it out for yourself and see if I won't do what I said. I'm going to move on. Tithing, it's the baseline of handling finances God's way. And maybe this is your next step with him. Maybe you've never tithed before. Maybe you did and, and you're, you're hearing now and the Holy Spirit's telling you, you know what, I need to get back doing this. Because it's not about money, it's about my trust. It comes down to whether I trust him or not. Not necessarily to bless you, because you may say this. You may say, you know what, I'm already blessed, and I don't tithe. 
but do you trust the fact that you're not giving anything to him that's not already his? And, and, and not only that, but your relationship with, with him is built solely on trust. And so there are depths of a relationship with God that maybe you haven't experienced yet because you haven't trusted him with this very fundamental part of finances. Growing a relationship with Christ is built on trust. Growing any relationship is built on trust. Can you understand that? And with God, it's the same way. So he says, trust me in this. I'm not going to belabor the point, but the big point here is, is if you're going to handle finances God's way and have the life that he wants to give, then give some and start with the tithe. The second part of, of giving some is being generous. Being generous. They're two different things. You've heard tithes and offerings. Tithe is that command to give 10%. It's, it's God's. We, we trust him with it. Being generous, there, there's no amount suggested here. It's about being generous from your heart according to what you have. And there's lots of examples through the scriptures. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, he is a writer of a lot of the New Testament and gave instructions as how the church is supposed to be today and operate and function. Uh, he says be generous, and he kind of defines what that means here. Uh, and he talks about some of the benefits. I'll give you two. Uh, here's the first one. When you sow generously, you reap generously. He talks, they give a lot of examples in the scriptures when it comes to farming and agriculture because that was a big part of their society. And so when Jesus talked or Paul talked, he knew everybody would understand what they're talking about. Uh, I guess in today's world, if, they were gonna, if the Bible was written today, there'd be lots of illustrations about coffee because we could all grasp that. Back then it was about farming. So he says, when you sow generously, you reap generously. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, here's what Paul tells us. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And right off the bat, he, he describes it as farming. He says, when you sow, you're going to reap, and however you sow, you're going to reap. There's this harvest in mind. And he's saying, when you have your hand closed, nothing gets out. You can be tighter than tight and hold on to it and nothing gets out. But when you open it up and money goes out, resources go out, time goes out, love goes out, guess what? Things can come back in too because your hand's open. And he says, if you want to reap something that's really beneficial and significant, something that really gives God a good name in your life so that when people see you, they're like, man, you're really blessed. How did that happen? Boom, conversation starter. I'm talking about Jesus now. If you want that in your life, he says, then it starts with hand opening up and something going out. And so however you sow, he's saying that's how you're going to reap. We can grab that. And that principle was important enough to be in the Bible that we read today. Okay? Secondly, the benefits of being generous, it sets God's affection on you. Now, this is a fun one. I, I kind of like this. Look at the very next verse in verse 7. He says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Remember, tithing, he tells you. This one, he's saying, it's up to you, but decide it in your heart. And then he defines how. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person that gives cheerfully. Now understand, the word love here isn't agape love, like he's going to stop loving you somehow if you don't. It's not the forever kind of love. Listen, God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. He's not talking about that. But how many of you have ever had your mother look at you or your dad, or maybe you've looked at your kids and said, you know what, I love you, that's never going to go away, but I really don't like you right now. <laughs> you know, when, when we give generously, it sets God's affections on us. You want to know why? Because God is a giver. That's who he is. It's his very nature to give. And so he sets his affections towards us whenever we become like him. John 3, 16, you've heard the verse, God so loved the world that he, 
that he gave. And guess what? He loved first from his heart. He loved so much. He saw us. He didn't, he didn't give Christ out of compulsion or pressure or pity. He says, I love him so much. It's who I am. It drove him to give the gift. He loved first, then he gave. And when we let our giving come like that, when we sit down and we really plan this thing out and, and there's, there's a conversation in our hearts that happen, you know what? I'm decided on this. I see that family in need and I'm going to give. Or, hey, I, I see this particular ministry of the church. Or, hey, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give over and above my tithe. But I'm, I'm going to decide it in my heart, and I'm giving it unto God. And God's saying, man, that's, that catches me. That is, he loves it. He's just, he, he leans over on the throne. He sets his affections. I really, I love them, but, man, I'm really liking them right now. I tell you, one of the best things in your life is knowing that God loves you. But it's even better when he likes you. <laughs> And the, and the scriptures say he loves it when we give, when we give cheerfully. Now, it's easy to struggle about how much. And we want to try to give more than the next person sometimes. And it can easily become about compulsion or pressure. I'm pressured because of what somebody else is giving. And we can become obsessed about the number. The number has absolutely nothing to do with being generous. Do you hear me? It has everything to do with what you have. And it has everything to do with what you've decided in your heart to give. And when you do, God will honor that. So if you want to live a fulfilling life that God promised, give some. Give some. Give tithes. And be generous. Next thing is save some. Some of you are like, it's that chair thing happening again. You're like, nope. <laughs> you know, I, I can't do it. I just told you I had teenagers. Uh, even if they're not going to college, they're literally eating everything in my house. I can't keep my cupboards full. All of my money is going out. There's prom and there's this and that and I, I can't save anything. I, I get it. I understand. Uh, back in the depression, I heard that for every 25 cent my great-grandfather got, he saved a nickel. I mean, he was actually able to save during the Depression. So if somebody can do that, I'm sure we can save something. I think, I think it really comes down to not how much we can save, but just the discipline of saving, period. And then later on, small amounts become bigger amounts because we have the discipline inside us. Am I talking to anybody today? Oh, it's your first time here, Pastor Ryan. You shouldn't be saying this. You're stepping on our toes. Listen, I'm stepping on my own toes. Right, babe? All right, look back quick. Look, look. Yeah, I'm stepping on my own toes. We, we have to save. Give some and save some. Let's talk about some benefits really quick. And, and I kind of want to compare it to debt. Because literally, a lot of times, the reason why we can't save anything is because we're in debt. Our money's coming in, and instead of going to that, that savings account, it's going out to debtor. So I just want to kind of challenge us all right here and kind of do a dichotomy between debt and savings. Debt undermines your happiness, but savings increases your happiness. Now, it's not all about happiness, but I'm going to tell you, when you're in debt, you, you're not happy. Because you can go out to eat, and you can do anything extracurricular, and in the back of your mind, there's guilt associated with it because you think, man, I really should be getting out of debt. But whenever you save money, man, it, it's like endorphins release when that bank statement comes in, and you're able to see your progress. It's like the opposite. It just it makes you happy. It makes you excited. I'm, I'm doing, having progress in my life. And so debt undermines your happiness. Savings increases it. Debt obligates you to earning pressures. When you have debt, I mean, you, you're obligated to earn. I, I went into debt, oh, now i got to get another job. Or, hey, I'll just get a, maybe a second or even a third job in order to, to handle that debt that's coming in. But savings relieves that. You know, in today's day and age, people get laid off of jobs. Maybe you're here and you've gotten laid off. And I'm telling you, when you have savings in the bank, you have cushion. 
And maybe you don't have to take the first job that comes right along. But when you're in debt and you're living paycheck to paycheck, man, you're, you, the options just become limited. Now, I, I've got to do something. And it's not that we aren't disciplined, and it's, I'm not saying it's a bad idea to, just to take work wherever you can get it. Sometimes that's a reality. But what I'm saying is, is when you save rather than go in debt, it, it widens your options. It does. It obligates you to earning pressures when you're in debt, but saving relieves it. Debt limits your giving potential. It, it limits your giving potential. There are times in the life, I would say a lot of times in the life of a fully devoted follower of Christ where God is going to lay it on your heart to give. He just will. He'll, he'll open up your eyes to somebody at the gas pump and your, your heart will explode and you'll know God's voice, hey, I want you to go pay for their gas or hey, I want you to pay for that single mom's meal across the way there in the restaurant. And whenever you're in debt, you can't do that. Now, you might have the joy in your heart to want to give. You might have the heart's exploding and you're feeling God pull. But debt limits your ability to do it. But when you have savings, when you have an ample amount of funds stored up, you're able to give just like that. And I'm telling you, there is not a greater joy than when you are operating in the character of God by giving. Uh, you, you, you think kind of on the outside looking in that giving will actually make you unhappy. It decreases everything. But it's something crazy about the way it works with God and his principles that when you give, something happens not in your flesh. It happens deep down in your spirit. It happens in a place that the Bible says Satan can't touch that. And it, it makes you jump for joy. It raises you up above every other circumstance in your life. You may be going through hell on earth, but there can be joy in your heart. Anybody say amen to that? There, there can be something down on the inside. Paul said it like this. On the outward uh, part of me, I'm wasting away. But on the inside, I'm being renewed day by day. And there's something about giving that does something. It satisfies something way down deep in your soul that nothing else can touch. It, it's a joy. And when you're in debt, it limits your ability to be able to do that. But when you save, man, it enhances it. It gives you the ability to be able to give. Let me make a bold statement here. Can I do that? You can't obey God's will for your life to give when you're broke. So save. Give some. Save some. Proverbs 21, 20. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. You spend everything you make. You're not able to, to do that. Real fast, last one. Debt diminishes your Christian witness, but savings empowers it. You, you want to know the, the biggest thing to turn off somebody that you're trying to be a witness to for Christ? The, the biggest turn off is, is when they watch a professed Christian mismanage money. It, it, is, it is the biggest turn off. When we're broke and we're up to our eyeballs in debt, What kind of name does that give the God that we profess to be able to supply everything that we need according to his riches and glory? Please understand, I'm not coming down on you. There's been times in the past where I have lived paycheck to paycheck, probably because I have so many kids. <laughs> I have five, by the way. Yeah, I'm telling you. So pray for us. We... <laughs> So I get it. I get the there's too much month at the end of the money. I, I understand that. And if that's where you are, God says, you know, do it my way and I will, I will lead you. I'll give you everything you need. But when we're intentionally doing the opposite, when we're intentionally not giving, we're intentionally not saving, what kind of name does that give the God when we profess to be Christians, the God that, that we are proclaiming that he is going to supply all my needs according to his riches and glory? Debt diminishes your Christian witness, but savings, it enhances it. 
When, you have, when you're blessed and you have everything you need and God gives you a lot of what you want, man, it opens up conversations for people to, to notice. So give some, but save some. And thirdly, live within your, live within your means. Live within your means. This is tough. Uh, AKA, spend less than you take in. How many ways can we say this? I heard a study recently that said for every $1,000 the average American makes, they spend $1,300. Now, I'm no math major, but that doesn't make sense. Dave Ramsey said that we gotta, we got to stop spending money that we don't have to get things that we don't need to impress people that we don't like. So... And that's typically what we do. We want to keep up with, with the Joneses. I heard somebody say recently, they said, I'm tired of keeping up with the Joneses. I'm like, man, that is awesome. Are you going to change some spending habits? Tell me, tell me. They said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm going to change my last name to Jones so then people can keep up with me. And I thought, well, <laughs> however that works for you in your mind, man. Do you, do you know what I've realized is the root to spending too much? The, the route to not living within your means, the, the, at the grassroots level, if we get down to what's actually causing it, it's not that, that necessarily that we're keeping up with the Joneses, but it's a, it's a heart that's not grateful for what we already have. When, when you can look at budgeting, and that's, typical, that's the ugly B word that nobody, else, nobody wants to hear, when, when you can look at budgeting as not, hey, I've got all this stuff I'm going to spend, and budgeting is like taking a knife and just cutting the head off of all my happiness. I've got to cut that and cut this, and I'm not going to be able to get my nails done every, every month, and I'm not going to be able to go fishing like I want, and, and I'm not going to be able to get that X, Y, Z, whatever it happens to be for you. That's how we look at budgeting. We've got to stop doing the things that we like. But instead of doing that, think about living within your means and the discipline it takes to do that as starting at ground zero. And instead of cutting, I am going to build. I'm going to take what I have, and the first thing is I'm going to maybe look at my mortgage, and I'm just going to be very grateful for the house that I have to live in. This sounds elementary, this, but I'm telling you how, how elementary our hearts really are when it comes to the simple things of God and how we're supposed to operate as humans. The, way, the wiring that God put in us. Gratitude goes a long way. Then I'm going to take my, my water bill and my electric bill. I'm going to put it, I'm going to build it on top of that and say, man, without water, I wouldn't be able to Without electricity, we'd be sitting here in the heat. Anybody ever gone without AC for a week or two? Yeah, it takes one time. <laughs> and, then you, and then you realize how blessed you really are. And then maybe you, you add on you know, what you're going to spend in gas. Man, I'm so grateful to be able to put gas in my car. People are walking, and I'm, I'm, I'm able to put gas. This is gratitude. I'm, I'm putting on, now I'm building on top of that the money that I have already to be able to buy groceries. Lord, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to buy food whenever I know that there are other people in this world that, that are wondering where their next meal is going to come from. And, guys, it's in Goldsboro, too, if you've seen them. There are some legitimate homeless people. I know there's people that are scam artists, but there are legitimate homeless people in Goldsboro living in the woods. We got to start being grateful for what we have and not pushing ourselves to the point that we're, we're trying to, to earn the right to have something that we haven't grown in and of ourselves to be able to handle. Gratitude goes a long way in that. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, no matter what happens no matter what situation you find yourself in, in this context, we'll just talk, whether it's a lot of money or a little money, because Paul said, I know what it is to abound and I know what it is to have little. Whatever happens, always be, always be thankful. And then this, this is the part that seals the deal. This is God's will for you <laughs> who belong to Christ Jesus. Anybody claim to belong to Jesus in the room today? 
This is God's will for you, being thankful. Instead of thinking it as budgeting as a sacrifice, like everything that falls short of, of luxury is just going to as a sacrifice, try building up from the bottom. Be grateful. Now, does that mean God doesn't want you to, to have fun? No, not at all. He said, I have come to give you life and life to the fullest. But he doesn't mean for debt to be the way that you get that. Get some and then give it and save it. And then thirdly, live within your means. Let me give you a bonus point. Now, none of you paid for this, so just buckle up. Here we go. Trust God. If you want to handle finances God's way, and have the life that he promised you, it's gonna take a lot of trust to do these three things that I just said. You can't do it in and of yourself because God's will for you is not to just you know, leave you complacent. God's will for you is to grow you so that a year from now you can look back and say, you know what, I'm, I'm not that person anymore. I've grown in all these areas of my life, including finances. You can get five years down the road and say, you know what, I'm not the same person that I was five years ago. I'm not the same person I was six months ago. God's will for you is always to grow in him. Throughout the scriptures, we read where God's will for us is to grow in knowledge and to grow in grace. He wants us to grow and keep moving forward. And so when it comes to your finances and these things that he outlines to do in his word, it's gonna, it's gonna challenge you. And the point is to grow you. He wants to grow you. And all this information is good, but I can promise you, if you don't rest in his word, it'll be the best, best thing, the most trustworthy words ever written that doesn't apply to your life. He says, I want you to trust me with this. It's not enough to know it. Listen to me, because Satan knows it. He says, I want you to trust me with it. You gotta trust it. Psalm 9 and 10 says this, those who know your name put their trust in you. Who? He says, for you. Oh Lord, have never forsaken those who seek, seek you. It's not just about taking your money and slinging it to causes or giving. It's about taking it and saying, God, I trust you with this. I have decided in my heart. Maybe it's the tithe. Maybe that's your next step. Lord, I trust you with this. I'm not just giving it out of compulsion or giving it because some human being stood on a stage and said it. Lord, my life is valuable to me. My resources and my family are valuable to me. And when I lay this before you, I am trusting you. Oh man, then you put the ball in God's court. God can't, he can't leave that alone. He has to do what he said. We're not manipulating him. God is delighted to come through for his kids. And then we're more generous. Oh man, it captures God's heart like nobody's ever seen. He loves a cheerful giver. And we, we say, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give and I'm not gonna let everybody see. So, you know, don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. And when I do, God, it's between me and you and I want you to bless that family. And I don't even have to ask. I already know you're gonna bless me, Lord, but I, I lay this at your feet and I trust you with it. And, and I know we've been talking about money here today, but it's not about money necessarily. God wants to open up the doors of your heart and grow in deeper relationship with you. And because money is such a big part of our lives, it has the ability to kind of stop us. We have the ability to want to control it and it, it kind of sit at the center of our hearts. And that, that's just the subject at hand for today, but ultimately God wants a relationship with you. And he wants to grow deeper in a relationship with you. And oftentimes it is the places in our hearts that are the most difficult to let go of that are the doors that God wants to walk through to deepen the relationship. And he leaves it up to us whether or not we're gonna open the door. And the question I have for you as we kind of wrap up today is, is are you gonna leave that door closed or are you gonna open it to him? And I'm just gonna be honest, I, I want us all to wrestle with that. <laughs> 
I heard somebody say recently that I don't know why the acid test of our faith is money, but it is. Man, when it comes down to brass tacks, it is, it is hard to let go of something as significant as money. But when we handle it God's way and we trust him to do his part, he never fails. And the, the byproduct of that is we have this amazingly deepened relationship with him that we never would have had had we not trusted him in that way. So maybe today, you know what, the, the, the missing link for you is, is, is maybe it's tithing, maybe it's, it's saving, maybe it's giving, but let me press in as we close. Maybe the, the missing link for you today is that relationship with God. It, it's a relationship. And before you think about temporal debt, what maybe you have incurred on this earth, we've talked a little bit about that today. Maybe you need to think about again, because you haven't thought about it in a while, the eternal debt that was paid for you about 2,000 years ago. Because guess what, guys? Money is, gonna, is, is not going to be here forever. Statistics say that everybody dies. <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> this stuff's not always going to be here, but what is always going to be here is a life after this one's done. And Jesus Christ came to this earth about 2,000 years ago and died for you to pay a sin debt that you couldn't pay. And the Bible says now, he, he's, this is what he's doing. He's standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking. And he's saying, if you'll open it up and if you'll let me in, I will come in with you and I will have a relationship with you. You need to understand something. It's interesting. A lot of people don't know this. When, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, you remember what he said right before he died? He said, it is finished. You know what that meant? He didn't say, I'm getting ready to die now. It's, it's finished. I've done what I've come to do. It, but it was actually, if I can go a little deeper, it was actually a financial term that he said. It meant the debt has been paid. There was a debt that we incurred, not because we were such bad people, but because David, the Bible says we were born with a sin nature. David said, even, you know, I was sinful even in the womb. We, we needed something to handle this for our eternity. And the life that Jesus came to this earth to, to give us, it wasn't just about financial freedom while you're here. It was about your spiritual freedom that will last forever. And so maybe that's you in the room today. Maybe you've never given your life to him, or maybe it's been a long time since you've actually lived in Christ. And so what I want to do as we close today is I, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for those in the room maybe who are, are Christians already. You're following Christ with your life, and, and, and this stuff's hard, but we're going to get better at it. I, I want to pray for you in that. I'm going to pray for myself. <laughs> and then if you're in the room today and you've never given Jesus your, your life, you've never not just made him the Savior of your life, but you've made him Lord. You've given him the authority. I want, I want to pray for you today. Can we do that? Let's bow our heads. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. I love how you, you said your word's not always easy, but it's worth it, and it grows us and shapes us. And so, Lord, I pray for everybody in the room today who has heard these words today, and it's, been a, it's a challenge. Some of us in the room may be knocking it out of the park. We can glean from that, Lord, but there's a lot of us in the room, myself included, we have areas to grow in this. And, and I, I pray for all of us in the room that when we start talking about the tithe or when we start talking about saving or when we start talking about living within our means, Lord, that it just wouldn't be some great thing to do if we get around to it. But we look at your word and as Christians, we can say, God, we wanna be obedient to your word knowing that the life to the full that you came to give us is resting in that trust. So as we walk out of the room today, Lord, there may be some people checking out their bank statements, opening up some ledgers, trying to figure this thing out. Holy Spirit, be with them. Empower them. Your word says in Romans that if we are able to transform ourselves by the renewing of our minds, we will be able to test and approve what God's perfect will is for our lives. And so I just pray for a transformation of minds today. 
Not that we just simply start doing things, but that our minds would be transformed about it. And then when we sit down, we'd start thinking of this stuff in a different light through the lens of your word and be able to be empowered to do these things. In the name of Jesus. Now, maybe you're in the room today and, and, and you're saying, Pastor Ryan, I know I need to accept Jesus. I know I need to give my life to him. Will you just pray with me? God never made it complicated. Pray with me. Believe this in your heart. God, I need you. If I could accomplish things in my life myself, I would have done it already. But the fact is, is that there's a void down deep in my heart and I need you. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe he came to this earth to die for me. To make a sacrifice for me, I couldn't make for myself. I I rest my trust in him today and in that. I believe that you raised him from the dead (laughs) after he shed his blood for my sin. And I don't have all the questions answered. I, I don't know how, what's going to happen tomorrow, but I do know this, is that I'm, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and for the rest of my life, I am going to aim my heart at you and I'm going to ask you to help me and I'm going to put my trust in you. And I believe I'm going to be everywhere exactly when I need to be there. And I believe one day because of this one decision, but mainly because of what you did for me, that one day I'm going to stand before a holy God and he's not going to see my imperfection, but he's going to see the perfection of Jesus Christ and I'll be able to live with him forever in heaven. Thank you for this opportunity. I trust you, Lord, from here on out. In Jesus' name, can we say amen together? Can we just give it up for everybody who prayed that prayer today?